Praise the Lord. It's been a busy day so far, a good day. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Job. Nobody say, uh-oh. Job. Where is the book of Job? It's right before Psalms, so that should be easy to find. Today we want to look at a depiction of the way God wants us to function before him. And uh, I encourage you to turn to chapter 1 of Job. And um, so often when we look at this book, we think about the patience of Job. We think about the horrific uh, attacks that came upon him. We, we talk about the... The, the way, reminds me of the days we used to have intercessors crying out in that room like that. Um, we, we talk about the way that God presented him um, at the throne uh, as, a, uh, as a prime example of a partnership with humanity. And um, we, we talk about all of those things, but today... I feel like we need to take a very close look at what Job was on this earth and how our enemy perceived the way God moved with Job. Now, I want to preface this by saying that we are in the new covenant. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we're born again, and we have incredible privileges of partnership with God that Job never had. But you know, the, one of the beauties of the Old Testament is that it shows a type of what God intended that then when Jesus came with grace and truth, we are to go built upon that foundation. So when God presents Job to the enemy and says, have you really looked at the way I function with Job? Have you really seen how I partner with him and how blessing flows through him? Um, Job is truly an amazing example. And then the enemy says, well, look at your blessing upon him. I see this structure, but if you start causing that structure to fall apart, and you test him, um, he'll turn from you. We know that story. But what we want to look at today is those things that, in partnership with God, made Job the sterling example that God was proud of and that God presented. And so we look at Job 1, verse 10. Let's read that together. Have you not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Three facets of what made Job such a splendid example of partnering with God. And those three facets 
are available to you and to me in God. And those three facets, as true as they were in the time of Job, are even much more exemplified for us as born-again believers in Christ. And truly, the way this is structured in, in Job 1.10 is kind of um, backwards. It shows the end result. It shows how it functioned, the engine of that end result functioned, but then it shows how it initiated. So let's look just following in the order of the Scripture. The enemy says that you have made a hedge about him and all his house and upon all that he has on every side. A hedge is a very interesting term in the Old Testament. It's not used very often. It is used to describe Job, but it's also used in the Bible to describe the human body. It, this term is used to describe our structure of our bones and the sinews of the musculature and the tendons, and it really speaks about the structure upon which everything around us functions. Um, this term uh, was used to describe the way God had laid out this hedge that included his house, which not only was his domicile, where he, where he stayed, but this term was used, and we use it today still, to speak about the dynasty of who Job was. You know, you talk about the house of this or the house of that. It speaks about one person or one family who was strong, and then from that, they became known as an enterprise. And so that certainly is in the Scripture. But it says that you've done this about, about his house and about all the connections that he has on every side, but it begins with speaking about him. You put a hedge about him. And I wonder if we look at our lives and we say, um, is my structure before God, first of all, aligned so that I personally am strong in the Lord? And so that then the enterprise of my partnership with God is then structured summarily. And then the things that I do, is it, is it all notable, beginning with who I am? Some, so many Christians are insecure with who they are. They don't know who they are. They don't know where their help comes from. And I know this as a pastor, because as soon as any kind of challenge comes, that internal part in many Christians just kind of melts away, and they're scrambling like a drowning person for help. And the first thing that the enemy says is, when I look at this guy, I see that your hedge is firmly planted in him. And that structure of who you've called him to be is strong, and it's functional. And subsequently then, the place where he abides is strong and functional. His, his reputation, the house of this man, is strong and functional. And no matter where you look surrounding him, it's all due to your identity in him, how he has embraced it, and how that has made him a notable individual 
on this planet. And I think that we should, we should really look at that and say of ourselves, Father, am I really secure and committed to who you want me to be? Now you say, well, how do I know that? Do I have to scramble to this person to prophesy it? Do I have to scramble over here so that people can say good things about me? Am I reliant upon what everybody else thinks? No, this, this identity came because of the self-awareness, the Christ-awareness, or dare, dare I say the God-awareness in Job. And that is so important. That can only happen through your relationship with God, you spending time with Him, not just hearing about Him, not just hearing millions of sermons or people's ideas about Him, not, not even, and you know how much I love the Word, but there are a lot of people who know the Word of God, but they do not know the God of the Word. You know, and, and you cannot really function with God unless you have a relationship with God. And that is, that is recognizing that He put you on this earth for a season and for a reason. And you need to be who you are, created by God, and be confident in that. And that then permeates everything that, that has to do with you. And that's the first thing the enemy shows. And Job just didn't arrive at that. It came about through development. And the next thing the enemy said, oh, I want to say one other thing about this. I said that this word is not used very often, this word hedge in the, New, in the Old Testament. It does describe the structure of your physical body. But then this famous verse in Hosea, where it talks about how that, um, it, it's a funny story, Hosea and Gomer and, and that story, the names are just funny. Well, hey, Sergeant Carter. You know, it, it's, it's, it's really an, an interesting story. But Hosea prays that hedge of thorns, and it uses this same word. Why was he able to do that? Was it some kind of a punitive action? Was it some kind of a, uh, you know, sometimes we would say this. In fact, I just counseled someone after prayerful consideration of their circumstance to believe for a hedge of thorns around the someone that really belonged to them. And you, you can read that story. You, you may be familiar with it. But why was Hosea able to do that? Because this belonged to him from God. That structure was his partnership with God. And this, this spouse that he had was in that house. And, and so he could operate on behalf of the rules of that house. There was an authority and power in that. And I think we extrapolate a little bit off of that. There's great power if you are secure in the Lord, if you are secure with what he has called you to be, God gives you great authority within that house setting to jurisdict before the Lord what can be, what can't be. With the enemies coming in, you can take authority. And, and I believe that God, one of the aspects of our prayer times over this year is going to be having a confidence in that beyond what 
we have known. You know, we have, tr we have sought to know the Lord individually, and we have, we have done our very best to encourage all of us to be that way. To people we teach and disciple, we try to encourage them to know Him and to spend time with Him. And we, uh, we have also then, because of that, known the presence of the Lord and the strength of the Lord for this house and how that it's extended around the world. Even right now, this message is being viewed in so many nations from our Saints Network family, and I'm grateful for that. But with that, there is an, there is an increased measure of authority that God has given us to believe for the, His presence, of course, His protection, his strength, his defense, and that is so, so important. So this hedge that the enemy sees speaks about the structure of every one of us. Every one of you has this structure in you. If you didn't, you'd just be a blob on the floor not long for this world. But God has made you fearfully and wonderfully. But that is a picture of how we partner with him. His spirit dwells within us. And, and so that hedge, which is a very carefully selected word, it's here, it's in regard to our physical makeup, and it's in, gar in regard to, amazingly in Hosea, about defending that which belongs to us. Only those three things. And I think that's very interesting. The enemy was well aware of that. The enemy it was not happy with any of this. He was grudgingly commenting on this. And God was glowingly saying, hey, look at my servant Job. Look at him. Look at what a prime example he is. The example of a partnership with me. I love that. But this is our heritage. Now, the second part of this says that you have blessed the work of his hands. Blessed here speaks that Old Testament word from the Hebrew, Barak. And it, it, of course, as we've studied, means that whoever this person is that's being blessed has been faithful to God. They've been faithful in the tasks that they've been given. They have been commendable in their service to him. And so God says, I want to use you in a broader way. You're faithful, as Jesus said, in the small things you'll be made ruler over many. And so the, this individual, this word really means the knee, Barak, to bow the knee. And there is a commissioning for what's coming. Now, medieval, we all have studied uh, medieval history, and we know about knighthoods and about how that uh, the Lord, somebody would go and kneel before the king, and they would touch the, the sword to both shoulders, and, and then they would arise a knight, and they would be given greater esteem and greater authority. This comes straight out of this Hebrew concept of blessing. And so when you study this word uh, throughout the Old Testament, wherever it is used to describe blessing, you know a couple of things. Number one, this is not just God sprinkling favor down upon people, even though God does that, thanks be to his name. 
But this is always indicative of somebody who has functionally been serving God, faithfully serving God, been, been absolutely intent upon fulfilling what God had given them to do. And God looks at them in their faithfulness and says, because you have been faithful, I am now going to bring a measure of promotion, a measure of enhanced authority, and you are now going to be serving me in this new task that builds upon the foundation of what you've done. So the enemy sees that in the sila of these three things, and he says, this is how you use this guy. This is how this guy has become so strong. This is how this fellow has been notable, and this is how he has authority in his household because he has been faithful in some ways to you, and you have been promoting him. But it's not just the promotion. It's not just the blessing because those cannot function unless there's been a measure of faithfulness. That's the key to Barak. And the enemy sees that. And he says that you have blessed the work of what? His hands. You could take his out of there. It's all about the hands. And when we talk about the hand of God in the Old Testament and the New in the, in the Old Testament, you see that palm of the hand. We studied about this during the Day of Atonement seminar and how that, that means that uh, from the very center of the hand, that's how God comes to you. You take it into the New Testament, and we see that the word translated as hand there can also mean a valley. It regularly means a valley, a storm, wintertime, emptiness, and when people say they want the hand of God, I really think they only mean I want that hand to dip into the pocket of God's robe and give me good things. But the hand of God is partnership. And when you say, let me take your hand, when God covered Moses by his hand, by the palm of his hand, when we extend the hand before the Lord, what is that in thine hand? Just a, a small bit of meal, and I'm going to make it for my son, and then we're going to die. It always means, will you partner with God in something that is just beginning, that doesn't look like much now, but God's got something great in store? Will you take that? Many Christians don't want to do that. They want to wait till the getting's good. But to start from the beginning when things look like it's a valley where there are enemy forces, then you got a war, or it's wintertime, Oh, I just like the harvest time, or I like the summertime. Uh, or if it's, if it's a storm, no, 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 I don't want that. I want to be sheltered. Let that hand shelter me. And God's hand does shelter. But God's looking for people who will say, will you partner with me in great things? It begins with a seed, and you're probably going to have to die so that life comes because that's the only way life comes. Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, there's no life in it. The essence of prophecy, the spirit of prophecy, according to the book of Revelation, is the testimony or the martyria or the martyrdom of Jesus. You've got to be willing to, let, to die daily, as the Apostle Paul said, so that the hand of God can see the blessing of God that God has ordained. He, the enemy pinpoints this. He says, you have blessed the work of the hand. This is amazing. Job was willing to say, what's that, God? Okay, you know, I, I'm very blessed. I'm the most wealthy man on the face of the earth. 
but I'll be willing to step out on a limb here with you. And this is the way you've used me in the past. I'm always willing to say, what do you want to do? Job could easily say, oh, you know, look how blessed I am. All these barns I have, you know. I, I know how to move. This is the way I got this. Um, you know, I've never done any other thing than this. It's a tried and true. But Job was willing to say, what do you want to do? Oh, it's not the way I've done it, but I know your voice. I know you. I'll step out in faith. We've got to be that way. And that's how you partner with the hand of God. And that's how every miracle, every blessing begins. And that's a biblical principle. And the enemy knew it. And he said, I've watched how you have partnered with this guy in your hand, and I've watched how he has successfully served you. He has knelt before you. You have blessed him. You have promoted him, and he moved beyond that into the next thing. I've watched this. It's very interesting that these are the first two things the enemy says, but the third one and the last one is really functional. His substance is increased in the land. Now, that may not sound like much to you, but it is, this, is, this is really the fruit of the tree. It, this is just amazing. Because substance is our old friend Kana, Q-A-N-A. And in the Old Testament, we've studied this before. I think we've even written about it. It's translated as the jealousy of God, but it means so much more than that. Kana is is used to describe God's work, God's business, and what he knows belongs to him. And he what the way he is jealous over what his purpose is, what he created the earth to be, it speaks about the 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 the, the divine plan and what he intends uh, for his creation to do in the kingdom. And this is such a big topic, but that's what Kana means. And it also meant, and I, I want to give you a couple things that maybe we've not talked that much about regarding this. It's, uh, it's interesting that well, we did mention that when Abram came back from delivering uh, Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah, Remember, Melchizedek came and said, Blessed be Abraham, possessor of heaven and earth. Possessor there is Cana, which speaks about what Abram, the father of all who walk in faith, all of us should be functioning in this principle. But this term also meant that there was a, a fruitfulness. There was plenty of supply. There was, there was money or, or whatever type of currency generated within the function of this holding to acquire more things or to supply whatever was needed in that area. I, I discovered this, was reading a, a lexicon article about this, and it really amazed me how that Kana not only meant uh, something that was a possession, something was intended, but it also spoke further about the, the, the wherewithal that was generated by that 
to where the supply was always enough to not only possess that thing, but to keep it functioning in amazing ways. And that, that uh, whatever was needed was supplied by the function of this kana. That is so important here. I mean, that, that is such an eye-opener. And I think that the Lord perhaps has saved that capacity of it for us for these days because there's, there's power when you're serving where God has called you to serve and you're standing on behalf of his kingdom. There is, there is there's power and, and um, function and prosperity within that to supply for everything that thing requires to, to keep functioning well and then to expand from. I, I just think that's interesting. We need to probably develop that more. The other thing about this word, which we've really not talked about much over the years, is that this word is the root of the branch in the Old Testament. That, that um, this word was also used to describe the reed where Ezekiel measured the temple. And then, of course, then in the New Testament, John was told to measure the temple with a reed. But it speaks about an authority to represent the kingdom. And when you talk about the branch, it, it means that you are, you are extending out from a point of, 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 uh, of strength. It's expansion. You know, in Zechariah, there was a prophecy about the coming of Jesus. I will send my servant, the branch. And it was this word, this, a derivative of this word. God is always wanting us to represent Him, to know Him, to do what He says to do, to function uh, accordingly, to, to, to grow in Him, and then to take His hand and to uh, say, what is your will? What is your purpose? And to, to know that, that um, there is, there's more than enough in that to overcome, but then to break through as the branch. You know, the ultimate example of this is in the New Testament in the book of John when he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Of course, that's the New Testament. A branch is a branch, though. We are to be so secure in him, to be joint heirs with Christ, that our breakthrough as a branch into the new is, is, uh, is part of the divine purpose and, and it ends with our, another one of our old friends. Uh, the substance is increased, parats. Increased is parats, the breakthrough. You stand in the gap with parats, and because of that, you break through on every side. So you have both the branch in the divine purpose and parats here. This is the way the enemy viewed Job. Those three things. And I would dare say that... He looks at you and me and evaluates whether we're functioning in God in these ways. This is the way God created Job and he created every one of us to function with him. We have been blessed abundantly in the new covenant through Jesus Christ our Lord to, to triumph in greater ways than Job did. 
But the principle of how God created men and women is the same. And the, the ideal of the enemy looking at Job and saying, you, you've got a hedge around him. Look at the way he's structured in you and in his house and in his, his, his business for you. Look at the way you've partnered with him in your hand. And look at the way you've promoted him. And look at the way he is representing your purpose in your kingdom. Look at the way he defends your kingdom. He's a possessor of that, just as his father Abraham, as well, not his father Abraham, as our father in the faith Abraham is. And look at the way you have blessed him abundantly in that. And look at the way he, he extends out of that root of identity. And look at the way you cause no barrier to hold him back. He, there, there's a Parat's influence. This is what the enemy says about Job. I have to remember as well that when we talk about uh, this, this measure of, um, of the branch, um, you, you notice, and we haven't really mentioned too much about this either, but when Jesus broke the bread at the table of communion and um, the, um, the, the clau, K-L-A-O, of that breaking, which was used in the Septuagint to describe the way that Moses distributed the inheritance to the tribes. And we talked about how at the table of communion, when the bread is broken, it represents so many things, but among them is our individual ideal as to what God has called us to be. The one thing we haven't talked too much about is that word clow is the root of branch. And so... Our whole idea of expanding in the Lord is Old Testament, New Testament. Every one of these principles that Job uh, represented, that the enemy pinpointed and that God gloried in, are things that we should be exempl uh, exemplifying. And plus, with the benefit of... The, the amazing eternal benefit of the sacrifice of Jesus, the power of his cross, the blood of the lamb, the, the bread of his fellowship. All of these things only serve to, to, uh, to make these principles function in the perfect way. Job didn't have Christ. Job didn't have the cross. Job did not have the blood of Jesus. Job did not have any of these glorious things that we have. But the principle... The foundational principle is ours. And if you think the enemy looked at Job, which he obviously did, and said, I don't like what you've done with him. I don't like it. I don't like it. In fact, the blessing that he derives from all this is the only reason he's with you. That's the only reason. You take away those blessings and he'll abandon you. But the first thing, the first thing that the enemy said was the, was the clue to all of it. You made a hedge about him. The enemy took away every other thing, but he could never take that. And that's his presence. That's God's presence. So can we say today, I'm making a, a, a commitment. These are all things you're all living. But as we evaluate our lives for this new year, can we say, Father, let me 
welcome you into a deeper place within my life than I've ever searched the innermost part in me and dwell with me there beyond anything I've known in you. And may your power be upon my household and upon all that I, all that I am known for. And may every business dealing, every extension, every contact, may, may when people see that of me, may they see you. And then, let me be faithful in the partnership with your hand. And in this beginning of the new year, I'm ready and willing to serve you in new ways. I accept the anointing that's commensurate with that for the service of you in that. And then, let me be that one that is absolutely devoted to your eternal purpose as a saint to those things that you created from the foundation of the world that may not be functioning in the way you created them to be. Let me partner with that. Maybe let, me, let me embody the jealousy of God for your ways. And let me be that person then that will, as I, as I defend that and I function in prosperity and blessing in that, will, will break through and to expand into the things as a tree of righteousness that I should be. And may, through that, and the synergy, the, the combination of all of us together, may we touch this world in a parats in this year of breakthrough that within a year will surprise us all. Now, again, I'm not giving too much credence to the enemy here. But this is God's Word, and I'm just reading what's written. The enemy sees all of us, and he believes and trembles. He knows what God has ordained through you, and he doesn't like it. He cannot stop God. He cannot stop God's ways. The only way he can stop you is by convincing you to stop yourself. See, the enemy can't do anything to keep God's presence from you. As long as you want him and embrace God, enemy can't do anything about that. The enemy cannot stop the blessing of God upon your household. The only way it can be stopped is if you abandon that privilege. The enemy cannot stop you being able to partner with the hand of God. You know, the Bible says no, no man would be able to pluck you out of the hand of the Lord, but it doesn't say anything about you jumping out yourself. And so he can't, the enemy can't stop that partnership. Only you can stop that partnership. And the enemy can't stop the breakthroughs that God has intended. The only way he can stop them is to convince you not to be willing to say, here am I, send me. So, it's not pressure on us. This is a blessed time. It's, it's an, an awareness. It's an awakening. And God has invested everything that he is in each one of us, in you, in you, in every one of us. And I believe that we're in the end times. I believe that we're in the end days. 
I believe that the, the things that the, the, the Word of God and prophets of old have prophesied, we're seeing them unfold right now. And um, there's nothing really that limits the things that the Scripture says will happen in the end times. You know, in the 70s, which was when I was a teenager, uh, I would think, yeah, I believe the Word. I believe the Lord can come at any time. But I know enough to know that some of these things that God says will happen, it's not possible for them to happen right now. But guess what? Fifty years have passed, and it can happen now. We're living in the end times, folks. And that's an exciting thing. That's nothing to be afraid of. God's light says that it will shine upon us. Darkness on the earth, gross darks in the people, but my light will shine upon you. And this is our promise. But we have to recognize that these three things are what we must take an inventory of in our life. And you say, well, pastor, you know, I know I failed here. I know that, I, boy, I kind of let this slide. And Don't beat yourself up. It's not whether you've fallen down. You've heard this before. It's whether you get back up. God is not forgetting you. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And the enemy would like to say, oh, you know, you failed here, and if you'd have done this, you would have, could have, should have. Don't listen to that. Believe the word of the Lord and say, I know you put me on this earth for a reason. I'm going to live as long as I'm alive. There's life and breath within my bones, and I'm going to serve you as long as I'm here and through eternity. And so we can say, Father, all three of these facets, I want them in my life, and I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to be what you put me on this earth to be. Nothing should keep us from this. Nothing, no matter what, nothing will separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Seems I've read that somewhere. Uh, you know, no height nor depth nor powers of the enemy uh, nor anything will separate us from the love of Christ which is in our Lord, the love of God which is in our Lord. And that's our privilege. So, Father, I thank you for this, and I thank you that as we, as we begin to engage in measures of prayer for the things you've given us to be. May we remember that in every one of our prayers, it comes from this point of identity in you. And let that foundation, let that rock be so secure that we have confidence in the things that we pray because we're not just out here doing whatever we darn well please. We're not just out here serving our own device and asking you to bless it along the way. We have committed ourselves to you and to your throne and what you want us to be as joint heirs with Christ. So let us function from that foundational identity and let us believe that this year is going to be a sterling example of partnership with you for your kingdom, for your glory, and for the, the, the shining of your ways on this earth. I speak blessing over every one of these precious folks, those that are joining us across the miles. 
I thank you for them, Father, and I thank you for their identity in you and for what you've called them to be. I speak blessing over every saint, over every church, over every prayer group, over every individual, and over the, the wonderful folks that are part of this fellowship here. And I ask you, Father, that you will cause us to be healthy, strong, encouraged, provided for, um, overwhelmed by your presence, and may we be everything that you need us to be, and may we be happy about it. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we thank you for it, Father. Amen. 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 Well, amen. I don't really know how to, to end this. I feel, I feel such the goodness of the Lord so wonderfully. And I guess that's, uh, for those of you joining with us, we say goodbye to you now. But for all of us here in this house, the party continues. And we invite you, if you have the time, to just go out this door right here to my right and make a quick left, go all the way down the hall, and we'll be having a nice little luncheon, a good time of fellowship, a time for you to talk with one another, and lots of stuff to eat and drink. And um, we uh, might even...